Relevant content for our members, by our members. This is TMC Connect. And today's TMC Connect discussion is titled E-Closings, how to quickly get my company to adopt. And today's discussion is led by a great group. Uh, starting off with Liz Barnacle, National Sales Manager at uh, MERS for the group. Hi, Liz. How are you? Doing well, Tom. Thanks for pulling us together. Oh, happy to have you. Well, we've got David Berner, Strategic Planning and Partnership Manager with Notarize. How's it going, David? Hey, Tom. Thank you again for putting this together as well. Pleasure. Well, we've got uh, Scott Gillen, SVP of National Agents with Stuart Title. Hey, Scott. Hey, Tom. Uh, looking forward to sharing our thoughts with everyone. Fantastic. Also have Harry Gardner, EVP of E-Strategies with DocuSign. Hi, everyone. Good to be with you. And last but certainly not least, we have Stephanie Zinsmeister, uh, SVP of Operations with Animac Home Mortgage. Hi, Stephanie. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for putting this together. Um, obviously, we're all working from home, and you almost just heard my three-year-old scream, but luckily he uh, left the office before that madness, and you called my name. <laughs> no, no worries at all. I had a uh, start conversation with my three-year-old before the call that he needed to be quiet for uh the next hour or so. Uh, so kind of pivoting over to, to kick off today's discussion, want to get right into things. Um, you know, I'll start this off for the group. You know, would be interested to share with our attendees today, you know, maybe the single largest or most consistent concern that you're currently hearing from your clients about their ability to be able to close loans under the current constraints. And, you know, maybe we'll start, David, with you to kind of kick things off here. Sure. Thank you, Tom. Uh, I think obviously there's been quite a rapid um, movement towards uh, you know adding e-closings as, as part of your strategy. I think what we've seen up to this point, of course, uh, for a variety of considerations, has been more adoption on the hybrid side. Uh, be it for some of the folks that have had conversations with when it comes to e-note delivery, being able to rest, uh, best execute strategy that you're used to, uh, and also work with all those secondary market partners. Uh, some of the other challenges we've seen have been things like title underwriting uh, acceptance across the country, uh, but also to um, you know things that like county reporting. So there's been a, all that to say that up to this point, it's been a tremendous amount of sort of puzzle pieces to put together in many respects to realize a, a fully digital closing process at scale. Uh, we've seen a lot of those in the past couple of days, and specifically to the title underwriting one, uh, start to melt away uh, as there's been more acceptance uh, around the country there, um, you know, with temporary uh, bulletins from the underwriters, which I'm sure Scott can follow up on next uh, to talk through, um, you know, what, what exactly we can do there. So uh, all, all that to say, uh, I think the biggest challenge that I've been hearing uh, from some of my customers is just capacity and implementation timelines. Uh, we've got some great people on the call, you know, to, that represent specific functions, um, you know, throughout the e-mortgage ecosystem that can talk specifically to their part. But uh, one of the things that we're saying as best we possibly can is to, you know, have patience and we'll talk a little bit about the amount of, um, you know, steps that need to be taken to go live there. Appreciate it. Uh, Harry, I'm going to pivot to you here. What, uh, what are probably the single largest concern or biggest concerns you're hearing from uh, the DocuTech side? Yeah, you know, very similar, Tom. I think uh, everyone is, of course, justifiably concerned about, you know, face-to-face -face contact. And so that's, that is the number one concern. How can we all stay healthy and safe in this environment and continue on with the process? So 
obviously it's a it's ready made for an e-signing and e-closing environment and and we'll talk a lot more about that and, and the remote online notary aspect of it and um, and it's very interesting that even uh, a number of states now have signed temporary executive orders as well to even to the point of enabling you know ink signed uh, remote notary or, or what I call RIN, remote ink signed notarization. <laughs> we don't need another acronym there, brother. <laughs> right. I knew you were gonna have a curveball for us, Harry. That's good. <laughs> you from your uh, perspective on the title and settlement side. Yeah, so um, <laughs> to Harry's point, um, you know, we're seeing a, a, a lot, you know, obviously the title, the, the title companies are challenged as well. You know, we're trying to protect the, the, the health and well-being of our, of our escrow staff um, while still being sensitive and, and cognizant of our role, our, you know, our critical role in making sure these transactions get closed. So, um, you know, I will tell you that, you know, Ron is uh, certainly one of, the, uh, one of the tools in the toolbox. Uh, we are also seeing, uh, the concept of of a curbside mobile notary scenario where um, uh, you know the consumer uh, you know drives up to the title office and and uh, you know docs are handed to them they execute them and we're actually looking through a, a window uh, same concept where where they they're calling it a door knock where uh, uh, mobile notaries go into the door uh, when I say mobile notary you know I'm talking a contract notary or one of our staff members it's not ideal we're not uh, we're not promoting it necessarily but it is something that we're having to do in some cases uh, we have had instances where people are quarantined uh, and and there are challenges uh, when that happens uh, you know I can tell you that that our offices uh, you know, for, for all intents and purposes are still open for business we've taken precautions like putting plexiglass in closing rooms uh, to separate uh, consumers from from escrow officers we're certainly uh, limiting the number of folks that come into the closing room or come into our office at, at any given point in time. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, Harry mentioned the executive orders. Uh, while the executive orders are, um, you know, certainly intended to be helpful, uh, they really are probably more harmful because they're leading to a lot of confusion about a process. They're opening up a remote online digital type closing process uh, without any of the, uh, the protections in place uh, necessary for you know the lenders and the and the title companies uh, relative to what you know what the RON tools really give us. So um, while I, I certainly understand uh, the noise in the marketplace to facilitate uh, you know through executive order, uh, unless those 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 uh, are facilitated using existing technology and existing uh, processes that we can all get comfortable with, uh, it's really creating to a degree a lot of unnecessary noise and uh, definitely a, a concern on how we can comply with it. Excellent, Scott, that's a great perspective and we're definitely gonna talk more about uh, pending federal run and, and state executive order legislation there. Um, Liz, from your perspective, what's the biggest challenge you're seeing from, the, from MERS's vantage point? Thanks, Tom. Uh, you know, I think the biggest challenge that we are seeing, and it sort of resonates in some of the comments that were made here, is to make sure that the members that we're talking to have a good base knowledge of what these digital processes require um, and a reasonable and practical sort of timeline sort of for the implementation. And that was touched on earlier. I think David had mentioned that. Uh, and so I think that's our biggest challenge is really to get good information in the hands of the market. So risk along the lines with remote online notarization, 
which the e-note doesn't need to be notarized, but there are, pack there are concerns within a digital package that are outside the e-note. Um, and so I think that just as a central focus for MERS certainly is to be able to advocate for those best practices and certainly in preparing for implementation on the MERSI registry. Fantastic. Appreciate that, Liz. Um, Stephanie, same question from your world, but more from the perspective of what you're hearing at ENIMAC from you know, maybe borrowers or you know originators about largest concerns around getting to the closing table right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we've been fortunate so far to not have um, any um, big issues so, uh, come up to where we're having borrowers or title companies um, refuse to sign due to not wanting to be in person. Um, we, we had some requests come through for hybrid e-closings, which um, we don't have an e, uh, although it's on the record, we don't have an e-closing solution right now. We are in the same boat as probably a lot of other lenders out there. We're, we're trying to vet out the companies that we want to use the technology platform um, and then execute those additional agreements with Fannie, Freddie, and MERS. Um, but we do have the capability to do a hybrid e-closing via DocuSign with a manual tagging process. Granted, it's not ideal. Um, it does work. Um, and we do have two of those particular type of closings going on right now just to limit the face-to-face the -face time. Um, we did um, also offer um, the, the curbside closings that you're referring to. Um, we're calling them drive-through closings, same concept, and the, also the door one um, going through the window as well. But most, most of our um, noise is coming from our originators. Um, they're, they're seeing all the different executive orders come through and they're really um, chomping at the bit to push us to um, start to allow what these states are allowing. And I think that's really what our biggest challenge is right now is really educating our sales staff on what we can and can't do, what our title insurers are going to accept, what our investors are going to accept, and what the agencies are going to accept. Um, I'm, I'm sure as you can all relate, it's difficult to quiet um, and explain to salespeople who just care about their loan and want to get their loan closed. So I think it's good to get the education out there that just because the states are doing what they're doing, it, um, it, it may not be the, the right solution for um, us in the long haul. I appreciate that insight, Stephanie. It actually creates a, a great segue to discussing, um, you know, the current federal and, and state executive order based on legislation that is uh, is currently out there. Um, you know, first, real quickly on the federal side, we had a, a prep call for this discussion this morning, and Harry mentioned directly, uh, it sounded like consideration had been uh, tabled for the time being. I'm going to start with Dave, and I want to open it up to the group here, but Based on what we know, you know, do you guys see any obvious impediments lenders should be aware of, um, you know, with existing state laws on remote online notarization active in 23 states, uh, superseding, you know, proposed federal legislation out there right now? Well, from what I've heard from, uh, you know, what, what we've gathered around that bill, you know, at the federal level, it's not going to supersede 
the established uh, regulations and procedures that have been put into place, as Tom mentioned, in the 23 states that have already passed remote online notarization legislation. Now, you know, like all notarial acts, uh, it's governed at the secretary of state level. So there can be some small minor procedural differences when you go from state to state, uh, but nothing that would concern us from a broader standpoint that would be a challenge on the existing legislation there. Um, that particular uh, federal legislation, the goal would be to legalize remote online notarization across all 50 states. Um, Mortgage Action Alliance put out a note today uh, requesting for folks to write to their congressional representatives or Senate representatives, encourage folks on the phone to do that. Uh, that bill uh, follows the uh, minimum standards uh, through the RON or MISMO uh, RON work group that was developed by uh, a couple of folks here on the phone, actually. Um, I think our, our primary concern with the executive action methodology that's gone through uh, specific to New York, and, and we're starting to hear about it in some other states, is number one, as Scott said, confusion for folks, and, and as some folks are doubtlessly experiencing from their sales staff. Um, but number two, I mean, I think the more broad issue is that, you know, doing a attempting to do a remote online notarization uh, over devices and, and tools like FaceTime and Skype, you know, it doesn't have any of the safeguards around identity verification that you have with a remote online notarization solution that's compliant with those MISMO standards. Just to name a couple examples, uh, there's no um, knowledge-based authentication uh, of, of the borrower's experience as part of a Skype call. There's no software analysis of the government-issued photo ID to ensure that it is a real ID. There's no ability to uh, tamper seal a document after it's executed uh, to make sure that no one manipulated after the fact. And I think some of the more concerning things I've heard, you know, over the past 72 hours uh, would be situations where someone would jump on a FaceTime call, show an ID, and then hang up the phone, and then the notary fills out the paperwork in the background. Um, I'm sure that concerns a lot of folks. Um, you know, in my opinion, that could really set a lot of folks up for some very challenging situations in a couple of years. So, um, you know, it's, I understand where the states are coming from. They're doing their best to help, you know, you all and also the notaries that are essentially commissioned public officials, you know, as uh, pursuing their activities through their state, you know, to stay in business and, and try to protect themselves and be healthy. Uh, but, you know, this consumer type of technology does not have any of the safeguards around identity verification and document validation, you know, that the compliant RON solution does today. So that's, that's a big concern of ours at this time with some of those executive actions. Appreciate that, uh, David. I guess I, you know, would open it up to uh, we'll go to Scott at this point, you know, somewhat along the same lines, um, you know, from your world, what, uh, maybe some of the current problems that would exist between state executive orders that I guess could kind of conflict with either the compliance or infrastructure that's currently in place uh, to help facilitate, you know, e-closing and, and remote online processes. Well, so if you look at the executive, uh, well, let's, let's, we'll, we'll take a step back. And I mean, if we look at the 23 states that have passed RON, they passed RONs uh, based on uh, uh, MBA Alta model legislation that has all the protections that David just mentioned. Um, the executive orders uh, that have come out, and I looked at New York, Connecticut, Iowa, uh, New Hampshire, uh, I don't know, I looked at five of them this morning. And um, uh, basically what those executive orders do is empower a local notary uh, to be able to use a service uh, like Skype or something else to, you know, to, to verify uh, the consumer's identity 
uh, and verify that the consumer has is uh, is signing documents, and then they fax the documents or send the documents over for for notarization later. Uh, there is no retention of those records. There is no recording of those records. Uh, there is also not uh, you know any of the KBA analysis uh, or the you know the 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 ID analysis that the platforms provide. Um, uh, I can tell you based on the other underwriting bulletin, bulletins I've seen. Uh, the other underwriters have the same approved platforms or similar approved platforms to what we at Stewart have. So, uh, you know, our approval is based on uh, knowing that we're going to ensure those transactions uh, and having the comfort uh, to know that those transactions, uh, you know, ha have a, a recording backbone that I can go back and look at down the road if somebody attempts uh, to challenge that closing down the road. Um, the other thing that I, uh, I think it makes point, uh, it's important to point out is a lot of those executive orders specifically point out that uh, by leveraging that executive order uh, and closing in that manner, uh, that they, it, the consumer does not give up their right to challenge that closing at some date in the future. So the executive order in and of itself says, hey, you can close this way. Uh, but if you're doing so, uh, we're not restricting the consumer's ability to come back and challenge the validity of that closing. Uh, you know, it, it, from, a, from a lender and or uh, a title insurance perspective, uh, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, we're not going to move forward knowing that uh, in the executive order, it gives the consumer the right to challenge the validity of what they've done. Uh, so again, the executive orders are well-intentioned, uh, but uh, there is a... Uh, a process that is in place for a reason. There's a reason why we have notarial acts in the process and, and remote online technology already solves for that. So um, again, uh, most of these executive orders have been in states that have, that have been uh, either attorney states uh, or, or have been dragging their feet on, on looking at remote online. Uh, I do expect to see other executive orders. Uh, I think Arizona's looking at one, Georgia's looking at one. Uh, so there'll be others. Uh, you know, I think everybody just needs to be aware that um, while we, we all understand the, the importance uh, of our loan officers and, and their uh, desire to close transactions, uh, at the end of the day, we still have a responsibility to our bottom lines as corporations, and we need to make sure that these loans are closed uh, in, in, a, in a way that's, that's most prudent and protects us uh, when we sell those loans to investors. We all, uh, we're not that far removed from uh, kind of the, the repurchase witch hunt we went through five or six years ago, and I don't think any of us want to go through that again. So great point, Scott. Um, you know, I guess along those lines, I've got a couple questions that I want to address with the group. But before we get there, real quick, um, you know, Harry, a pivot to you, and then Liz, if there's anything that you want to add, kind of piggybacking off Scott and David's points around, you know, potential conflicts uh, from the compliance or uh, infrastructure uh, with some of these executive orders and federal legislation legislation along the lines of current e-close and, and RON processes. Yeah, thanks, Tom. I think, um, I think that, uh, you know, Scott and David kind of covered it fairly well. Uh, there's, there's the side of the obvious compliance issues if it's a sort of a remote ink signed notarization process, uh, as, as they just mentioned. And then there's also the factor that, you know, for the existing RON vendors who have robust solutions in place, uh, if a state rolls out, uh, as, as New Jersey just did, in fact, I was reading just a few minutes ago, they pushed through their pending RON law and expedited it in order to help meet, you know, meet with the, the crisis head on here. 
but even even doing that, uh, of course, the existing RON vendors are extremely busy right now and, and can't just instantly turn on a new state uh, for enabling RON. So, you know, there's, there's definitely challenges involved. I think it's uh, anything is a step in the right direction, you know, philosophically that we want to get 50 state adoption and enablement of remote online closings as, as, a, as the way of the future. Um, but to Scott's point, I think some of these efforts here create maybe a little more confusion than help at this point in the game. So you definitely want to be talking with someone who's, you know, very knowledgeable and can, you know, s separate the noise from, from the real information for you. Yeah, Tom, this is Liz. I just wanted to add a couple of comments. And certainly as we are looking at the, and focusing on the remote online notarization uh, laws and where they're headed, you know, I think the longer term, and I'm going to take my MERS hat off for just a second, you know, it's not just about saleability concerns and the underwrite of the, the title underwrite itself. It's also the compliance concerns that would be in regulatory audit. And I think uh, for those compliance officers who are on the phone, I'm sure that they've been in discussion with what does that going to look like when we review this down the line in an audit. Um, and some of the, the waivers and some of the things that are being written. I'm sure that uh, I just want to call attention to that because I can been involved in a few conversations where folks are trying to figure out what exactly that would mean and what that might, what posture you might need to take. Um, and those are some concerns, not just the short term, but also the long term. Thanks. Thank you, Liz. Um, pair of questions that have come in so far. Uh, first, in a regular notary transaction today, nothing is recorded either. So why do you think we would be any worse off by using Skype? I can take that one. Um, that's absolutely true. Of course, nothing is recorded when you're in an uh, in-person session. Uh, that's why we also think remote online notarization is better than an in-person session because you have that audio video record. Uh, so to take, putting that away to the side, right? You know, when we developed it, and many folks on this call helped out and it developed compliant RON standards, um, you know, through MISMO, through that work group. I mean, if, if folks aren't familiar with MISMO, we essentially as an industry came together, brought stakeholders from title, un, you know, folks from title underwriters, actual notaries themselves, agents, legal, lenders, you name it. And we came together to develop a, a criteria of standards. Now, I can certainly say at the beginning of that, a lot of the concerns that people had were people using Skype, were people using unsecured webcams uh, to actually just do this and use paper tools with no sort of safeguards there, right? That's why we added, you know, the identity verification portion. You know, that's why that legislation has been the model legislation across the country that Alta and MBA have adopted there. Um, I think you're running a huge risk, you know, by using something that has essentially no safeguards on identity verification to attempt to do this. Um, I just think, as, as Liz pointed out, you know, we need to think about the long term here uh, and what this could look like a couple years ago if any of these are challenged, or a couple years in the future, excuse me. David, much appreciated. Uh, other question I have is Maryland passed its RON law in the legislative session here with an effective date of October 1. Being told that because they now have a law in the books, even though it hasn't started yet, the state law would supersede the federal law, uh, would not plug the gap between now and, and October the 1st. Um, does anybody know if that's accurate and if there is any other solution outside of an executive order? I haven't seen them. Uh, Tom, I haven't seen the Maryland announcement. I, I do know that the intent of the federal bill is to 
uh, is to allow states to operate under the laws that they already have passed if they've got run on the books and then bring those states that don't have standards or don't have a law in place at least up to speed with a minimum set of requirements. Um, uh, you know, certainly everybody uh, is understanding and trying to be sensitive to, a, to the state's rights issues that are tied to this. Uh, part of the reason uh, the, uh, the secure bill, uh, as I understand it, was dropped uh, from, um, uh, from the, the federal uh, legislation, the relief legislation that, that have, that's being looked at today was because Feinstein decided it was a state's rights issue, which for those of you in California, please feel free to uh, speak very vocally to Miss Diane and, and, and get her to understand that this is bigger than a state's issue, uh, even if it's just a temporary fix. So um, again, I can't speak specifically to Maryland, uh, Tom, but uh, that's um, you know my understanding of the federal, the intent of the federal bill. I might be able to add a little bit of color on the on the Maryland situation if this would be helpful. I personally live in Washington, D.C., so I, I do get to do some work with the Maryland Land Title Association. Um, what, what I've seen in some other states, uh, for example, is a push for a state that's put a Ron bill in place and has sort of a, a period before they're going to going to actually make the legislation live around rulemaking or regulatory. We're seeing some other states actually uh, in speed up that timeline around when that law would actually go live. So I think the, the cleanest thing Maryland could do is actually to push that implementation timeline up, you know, closer into the future. But ultimately that falls on the Secretary of State, uh, you know, and the, and the state legislature to do so there in the absence of a, a federal bill passing. So, but I don't think it would do anything to Maryland law, of course, because it's already passed, right? It's just about implementation timelines at that point. Well, and that's a, that's a good uh, that, 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 a good segue. If you think if you look at what Wisconsin did and what I think you'll see in Arizona uh, and Maryland certainly has the same capabilities. For those states that have laws on the books that uh, are still waiting for Secretary of States to promulgate rules, uh, moving the implementation deadline forward and allowing uh, local notaries to be able to execute using RON without the application guidelines and all the things that uh, the Secretary of State still has to develop, uh, I think is, is probably the best path forward for those states. The, uh, the feedback from the group and, um, you know, encourage attendees to keep the questions coming in here. Uh, kind of pivoting to the next slide here and um, that probably end up taking a step back, but you know, for the group, hypothetically, let's magic wand and say Ron legislation passes federally on April 1st, and nobody on the call hold your breath right now. Um, I want to take the kind of dispel some misconceptions that might be out there that you know, once this legislation passes, uh, you know, lenders can just go out, you know, a and, and start uh, doing closings with remote online notarizations. Um, maybe a double-edged short question here, but from the group, just on the surface, first up, you know, what if there even is a realistic timeline for a lender, uh, you know, if they want to start from scratch today to be set up internally to execute an e-closing uh, with Iran nationally? So uh, I can jump on that initially, Tom, this is Scott. Um, so the biggest, I mean, regardless of what we're talking about for an electronic closing, I will tell you the biggest challenge out there today is the lender's readiness and their ability to get their documents or have their documents 
you know, digitized uh, with the electronic signature capabilities. Uh, that's challenge number one. I, you know, I, I think everybody on the phone uh, can acknowledge that, um, you know, a lot of lenders uh, have uh, been kind of biding their time waiting for the, the secondary market investors to get on board uh, before they move forward and, and begin uh, implementing anything internally. What that has resulted in uh, is, uh, you know, a lot of lenders out there that, uh, that don't have documents that are, uh, that are tagged at this point, uh, whether they're on LE or, or whatever platform they're on, there, there are some limitations there. In addition to that, and, and uh, Liz uh, can certainly chime in on this, um, uh, you know, as of today or, or Friday, the, the same 44, 45 lenders that have been on the eNote registry saying that they can register or that they're live with eNotes, uh, you know, th that same list has basically um, uh, stayed constant for probably 60 or 90 days. So we're not seeing a lot of additional lenders having eNote capabilities. Um, what that ultimately means is without an eNote, you're stuck in hybrid land. Uh, even with a hybrid, if you can pre-sign docs, you're still having to wet sign a subset of the docs. Uh, and, you know, for hybrids, you still have to have tag documents. So uh, to me, the, you know, what, what I've been trying to communicate, at least to our title agents, uh, is, you know, focus on getting your own operations ready to support this. The lenders are working on getting uh, the approvals and the document tagging that they need. Some of them on, uh, you know, on DocuTech or DocMagic or other platforms uh, already have tagged documents. But, um, uh, you know, there's a huge percentage of lenders that do not and that are going to be stuck in hybrid mode for quite some time because of the secondary market uh, challenges as well. Yeah, Scott, this is Liz. I'll, I'll add some comments to that. I would be in agreement with you. Like one of those first challenges is to ask as someone who is, as illustrated, needing to go electronic from a full paper closing. In uh, the digitized docs, depending upon what platform you are, what doc prep you have, or which relationships you have in that loan manufacturing process that you might be able to leverage, um, because the documents would certainly be one of the first places. What we see in the trend in mortgage origination is that sort of the tech uh, spend has been sort of following that manufacturing line, which from the point of sale into loan origination system to include capturing the 1003 on through to you know, initial disclosures with the signatures as well as final disclosures with these signatures and sort of defining that hybrid process. But for someone who is looking to stand up, you know, minimum, I would say would be, you know, I hesitate, I would say minimum of you know, 60 days. If you were really looking to figure out where your digital documents are coming from, what eVault you would be using to, to Scott's point on the eNote and those uh, active players and eVaults required for an eNote. And uh, you know, some of the industry doesn't even, is not aware that that tech qualification is there and that need is there to, to get a vent, you know, to get an eVault to be able to close an eNote. It's interesting how some of the industry has also answered that and they're signing some documents, uh, certainly outside of, you know, with FaceTime. So it's a little different and doesn't have the same sort of risk profile to it. The other one outside of documents and eVaults would then be, have you mapped your processes internally? And that can take some time. If you are looking at taking your shop from going from a paper process to a digital process, my first question to sort of get a feel for where someone is, is have you mapped out your processes for you know, servicing and foreclosure and buyback on an e-note? And if they have an answer to that, then I think you have a pretty good understanding of you know, the rights holders, 
uh, and what it would look like if it's not the happy path and you go on the unhappy path. Um, so I would just add that, you know, there's some reasonable timeframes in there. Um, you can't necessarily go digital overnight, but there are some initial steps that you can take to be in place for that. And I would say you could really do some muscle movement within a 60 day timeframe. Um, depending upon who your vendors are, it could be shorter than that. Uh, I've got someone who moved, um, who had the infrastructure in place and will be live on the 1st of April. Um, and they signed their e-reg addendum last Wednesday. So there's possibilities for moving that much faster, but I think, you know, sort of middle of the road mentality likely to be somewhere between, you know, 45 to 90 days. Yeah, Liz, this is Harry. I can piggyback on that. I think you're absolutely right. You want to be realistic about uh, the time frame, and, and it does vary. Um, the first conversation to have is with your doc provider, whether that, that in many cases that's the LOS like Encompass. <clears throat> in some cases, it may be a doc provider whose library is already completely tagged for e-signatures and is kind of integrated with an existing e-closing solution, in which case, and as you mentioned, in certain cases, you can get a leg up and uh, really move towards e-closing and towards a Ronnie closing much more quickly and accelerate that process. The other thing I think for lenders to understand is the, is the aspect of e-eligibility. So it's not only the question that Scott mentioned of whether you can deliver an e-note to your investor, which today is mainstream would be Fannie and Freddie, um, but also there's the question of the county recorders and you wanna have really good intelligence about um, you know, what the county recorders will and won't record in terms of electronic recording and in terms of uh, electronically notarized and remote online notary documents and things like that. So uh, you want to also talk to your solution provider about that and make sure that you're covered that way. And, uh, and, and you don't, of course, the last thing you want is to do a remotely notarized e-closing and then find out that the county recorder won't record it. So that's, a, that's an important part of the solution aspect as well. You know, if I could add one thing to, to, to Harry's comment, um, and this will probably uh, frustrate all my correspondent rep buddies, but uh, for all the lenders on, on, the, on the call, if, if, if you're in a position uh, to have tag documents or have documents uh, that, that can be electronically signed, but you just don't have any note, uh, you know, there, there, we need to apply some pressure to the correspondence to at a minimum allow for electronic execution of all the documents that can be electronically signed, electronically notarized, and electronically recorded to the extent they're recordable documents. Because there's uh, 88, 89% of the, of the country is covered by e-recording today. Uh, but most correspondents will tell you the security instrument has to be papered out and wet signed, which makes no sense. Because all we do as a title company when we get a papered out document is we scan it and send it and e-record it. Uh, nobody ever receives that uh, with the exception of a genie pool. Uh, and, and is concerned about it. So to the extent we can get uh, some loosening of uh, the acceptance of electronically signed documents, uh, we could do ROMs across the board and paper out the note. The note, you know, the note is, is obviously a big impediment here, but if we had just papered out the note, uh, we're all accustomed to doing mailaways. Uh, we could very easily uh, have a note wet signed in FedEx back and do everything else electronically. So um, just food for thought, uh, you know, the, the you lenders uh, at the end of the day are the, um, the customers of these correspondents. I'm sure they're uh, uh, getting screamed at left and right now, but uh, just keep that in mind. I mean, any pressure we can apply and, and help them understand 
uh, that you know, uh, uh, an electronically note, signed and notarized document, uh, a security instrument that gets recorded, still puts them in the same lien position that they were in if it was in paper. Great feedback from across the board. I, I appreciate that. Stephanie, I'm going to pivot to you a little off the cuff here, but, you know, just curious thinking with obviously all the changes we, you know, headed in kind of nationally almost to a, a type environment. Um, has the current marketplace scenarios expedited any max process or desire to be positioned to go fully E? It, it definitely has. We, we've been, we've tried to go the E closing full run route for the last two years and unfortunately just haven't, didn't have the um, buy-in with sales and talking to other lenders who had gone down that road in their adoption policy. We, we chose to prioritize other initiatives. Obviously due to this current situation, it's now become a hot topic at a forefront to um, get us um, into moving into that direction. You know, one thing that I can tell you that we're not going to do is we're not going to rush into this whole process just to try to get the loans closed. We don't believe that's the, the right move to make. We believe the right move to make is to um, make sure that we're choosing the right technology vendor that's gonna be a long-term long solution for us and not just a short-term fix right now. Um, and think, uh, luckily, because we did start this process two years ago, we, we've had um, conversations and demos with several e-closing um, vendors. Um, I believe DocuTech was one, DocMagic, SnapDocs, Vaso, Motorize. So we've had those calls and we understand what their platform looks like. And um, it is going to speed up our process um, more right now just because we know the vendor that we're going to um, select and, and how fast we're going to be able to get them up and running, at least for a full hybrid and then we'll, we'll start the, the RON process. And then, um, like I said earlier, executing those agreements with the agencies um, and EMERS registry for the E-note. Um, we've already gone through the research with our warehouse vendors, our subservicer. Um, we've done all that homework in the past, so that is going to hopefully allow us to stand up quicker than most who are just not starting that process. Um, but it, it is, um, it's a real thing out there because you know, as much as we want to sell all of our loans to agency, we know that we can't, and we do have those limitations with those investors that aren't fully buying the full run um, e-note solutions right now. They're only are they're only taking those hybrid solutions. So you're kind of stuck um, on on your outlets uh, in the grand scheme of things. Appreciate that, Stephanie, and I'm glad you went through it in, in that kind of detail just to highlight the amount of time that you and your team at Animac have taken for, you know, creating that infrastructure and doing the due diligence to make sure that your organization's set up with the, the right set of providers and, and not, I guess, you know, rushing per se so that you're set up for success, um, you know, in an e-environment is to kind of help uh, draw attention to how important it is to, you know, do the work behind the scenes to just set yourself up for success and that's not just going to be the matter of flipping a switch so i appreciate that um a couple questions that have come in so one for example based off of you know kind of the the slide currently i'm talking about the different elements of infrastructure and providers to set up you know your e-closing process 
in New York, um, are there any steps listed on the screen that would not apply or additional steps that would need to be taken uh, to be for a fully e-close? Are you talking about the New York, uh, the, the uh, directive, Tom, or? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think the only difference there from the way I read the directive is that uh, you would, well, gosh, you, you would be able to offer the borrower the ability to still electronically sign an e-note and the lender's ancillary documents and simply do their sort of workaround notary process for the notarized documents from the lender and from the title side of things. Um, but I, there's, as Scott mentioned, there's serious concern about, um, you know, the, the acceptance of that and for, for title underwriting and things like that. So that's definitely a conversation to have with your underwriter for each loan to make sure that they're on board and willing to uh, support that process as well. Yeah, I can tell you, uh, you know, we did uh, issue a clarifying bulletin after that executive order came out. Um, you know, we're still uh, taking the position that uh, that uh, a technology provider, an approved pro technology pro provider should be used to support the transaction so that we get the necessary um, uh, knowledge-based authentications and ID uh, identification in the recording uh, in lieu of the fact that um, uh, that we know we have a lot of closing attorneys up there and, and title providers that haven't gotten aligned with a RON vendor yet. Um, we've indicated that uh, if to the extent they can't use an approved platform, they're still responsible for recording the entirety of the transaction. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm still am concerned that there is risk associated with that uh, because I, I don't know that uh, many of uh, the typical notary or escrow person may not know how to record on their phone, may not have the uh, technology. They may just log into a Zoom session like we're doing right now and may not know how to record. Um, you know, it's our position that they need to be able to record the transaction uh, and retain that recording. The other thing that um, is interesting in, the, in these uh, executive orders that I've read is it not only doesn't mention rec recording in some of them, it doesn't mention retention. Uh, and in one of them particularly, it said the retention only needs to be retained as long as the commission of the notary exists. So if that notary happens to retire in six months, uh, they're not required to retain uh, that recording uh, beyond uh, their, their their notary timeline. So um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of gray area uh, to that New York law. And even if they can do an e-note, if that lender's set up to do an e-note, uh, all those other documents uh, still have to be executed. And um, uh, you know the the uh, uh, ability of a of a, an escrow officer to see everything uh, via video screen or via Skype. Uh, just doesn't, in, in our opinion, uh, provide the protections we, uh, we would need. And, and keep in mind, if a claim happens to occur, uh, you know, four, five, six years down the road or a bankruptcy trustee gets involved, we're going to ask for that video. If it doesn't exist, uh, that is going to leave a, an opening for a bankruptcy trustee to attack the closing. Yeah. 
I think to just add on that quickly from the from the Ron Bender perspective, um, I, you know, I can't speak for some of the other folks in the marketplace, but we have no plans on complying with any of these temporary directives that have come out from some of the states that don't satisfy those minimum standards. We always follow the guidance of, of folks like Scott and the title underwriters in the uh, in the marketplace as to what they will or will not ensure and have to up to this point and we'll continue to do so after that because you know we're in agreement that there's a tremendous amount of risk being taken using technology that doesn't have the necessary safeguards to protect us down the road. You know, and I, I, you made a good point there, and I'll, I'll just clarify something. If you look at those executive orders, uh, they have a uh, an expiration date on most of them that is uh, as little as two to three weeks and as much as 90 days. Um, asking uh, any title underwriter, title company, uh, technology provider uh, to uh, jump through hoops and completely reconfigure their system for an executive order that has a shelf life of three weeks, uh, it likely isn't going to happen. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, we've got enough on our platter right now, and uh, you know, being able changing the entire workflow process that we have for a particular state uh, for a you know a three week executive order uh, just you know isn't rational, and and I think we all need to to understand that. Uh, as part of this, you know, this overall solution that we're trying to solve for. Thanks, I really appreciate the, the feedback there. Uh, one more question I have coming through, and this is more situational. Um, what's your opinion for using an e-sign portal, which we currently utilize for initial disclosures, for our closing packages for home equity loans that are non-saleable? Borrower has to physically sign with a mouse, enter provided password by us to enter the portal, could this be notarized, the mortgage doc only, by our staff, considering that docs are also timestamped when opened by the system? There's a clarification question I'd pose to that, and that would be, is that a home equity line of credit or is that a home equity loan that's a closed end second? Um, the answer would be based on the, you know, uh, on the home equity loan as a closed end second, you would treat it much like a promissory note, whereas the line of credit would be treated somewhat differently. Um, home equity lines of credit are being signed on e-notes today um, and being held in portfolio. So there are ways that that's happening in the industry. That's my two cents to add to that. It could be done, and we've certainly had some conversations with some of our lender customers about, about that type of question, uh, specifically about, in, in our case, home equity loans and not lines of credit. And um, if they want to hold it in portfolio forever, and the, the main concern or the main thing to be aware of is that you want to make sure that you're taking those electronic notes in whatever format, they don't necessarily have to be registered on the Mersey registry if you're never going to deliver them to anyone, but it makes them completely, you know, non-fungible down the road. So there, there's no choice but to hold them if you choose not to register them. And then you have to just ensure that your eVault solution, whatever that would be, is going to hold them very securely and make sure that, uh, you know, there's no chance that they'll be getting out into the wild or that copies of them will, will get out where they could be challenged somewhere down the road as well. Excellent. <clears throat> Appreciate the feedback there. Um, attendees, too, if you have any questions, can feel free to filter those through the chat or Q&A function. Um, wanting to be mindful of time, want to wrap it. One question for each of our discussion leaders today. Scott, I will start with you here. Um, it's going to be the same question across the board, but we'll give each of our discussion leaders the opportunity to share 
Uh, maybe best practices specific to your world that lenders could institute right now to be compliant in you know, either closing e-mortgages or hybrids. Uh, well, maybe I'll I'll echo uh, what you know what Liz and Harry said. I mean, it, just keep in mind that we as the title providers are not really in a position uh, to do anything specific to lender documents. Uh, you know, they, the uh, you know God bless the loan officer, but they need you know we, we need to remember that the, the the title company can only do what the closing instructions instruct instruct us to do, uh, and. If, uh, if, if documents can't be digitized, uh, we're limited on, on our capabilities as it relates to anything E. Uh, we can focus on uh, what we can control as title providers, uh, but from a lender perspective, uh, we, we, you know, we can't uh, do anything specifically, uh, nor do necessarily do we want to take the risk uh, of trying to digitize or, or, or tag uh, lender documents. Uh, it's just not a scalable solution for us to support. And, and there is a lot of confusion out there. And, and admittedly, it's with title agents as well. Uh, there's a lot of confusion out there uh, around the title company's ability uh, to, uh, you know, to, to change the dynamic. I'm telling title agents all the time, hey, don't waste your time calling on a bunch of lenders and trying to talk them into doing e-closings. If, if they want to do e-closings, they know they want to do them and they have a path forward for that. Uh, it's not necessarily for... Uh, uh, for us to change. So, um, you know, certainly be cognizant of that. And, and uh, you know, the other thing I will uh, just share kind of anecdotally, because uh, I think we all need to be aware of this, uh, whether uh, you are calling notarized, whether you're calling uh, notary, whether you're calling any of these vendors or you're calling their, your title company, keep in mind, we all have, uh, we're all stuck in the same work from home option in many cases. Yes, I have staff in all of my offices today, but is it full staff? No. Uh, we are limiting closings. We are limiting attendance in the office. We are, li are li limiting the number of people in the office. So uh, just know that, uh, you know, we're in it with you. Uh, the title community wants to get these, these, these transactions closed as much as anybody else. Uh, but we all have to come together uh, to figure out the best way to facilitate getting these closings done. And we need to be patient and understand the process. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Harry? Any uh, final best practices recommend out there? Yeah, I think, uh, Tom, a couple things, I guess. One, one important thing to understand is that we touched on it a little bit earlier about the whole doc tagging question. There are multiple paths towards, you know, having your docs tagged. Obviously, the easiest one that we talked about is to, you know, go with a document library where the, the documents are pre-tagged. There are other options for, you know, semi-automatic tagging and, and then, you know, manual tagging and making sure that you don't miss any tagging points, but obviously that's, uh, that requires a lot of uh, QC to make sure that the documents are fully tagged accurately. Um, just a quick note on this slide, I think, I think on that second bullet, we probably wanted to say paper out a wet note for non-GSE approval, because the GSEs are the mainstream uh, channel for doing electronic notes today, so <laughs> we probably want to correct that in the long run. Um, so, so yeah, I think a compliant process overall, you want to look at every aspect of it and just, you know, the tight, the tighter the integration between your documents and your e-signature engine and your e-closing room and your e-vault solution, um, it, it's important to understand that some solutions are fully integrated with all of those aspects and other solutions are assembling, you know, a, 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 an e-closing primarily 
they, they, so they solve for the e-closing room itself, but then they need to take in documents from an external source and partner with a separate e-vault provider, et cetera. So as you're doing your due diligence, um, be sure to ask those questions and just make sure you understand exactly what all the pieces of the solution are and who's providing what, uh, you know, what portions and how they integrate with each other. Thank you, Harry. Liz, from your perspective, uh, best practices to share as we wrap today? I'll try to keep it short. Uh, you know, when I, we're working with a member and the customer groups to get someone, our best practice is really make sure that you're ready. There's been a lot of content today, but I would just, you know, to your members who are listening, three components that I think you should take a look at in order to start going E, and compliance would be in every piece of it. And those three sections, if you will, will be who are my transactional partners, what is the technology that I'm going to use? And what is my operational workflow? Take those three headings and start your work group. And I think you've got a stake in the ground to get started. Um, compliance is always going to be something that you're going to want. And that working group would, would include a compliance officer, a legal uh, secondary QA operations. Um, sorry, we just have some background noise. Um, so as far as a best practice, I think, uh, you know, starting your working group uh, with what you do have and leveraging what you what digital components you can get into. And Harry's point is to do the due diligence on those vendor partners and those transactional partners. Um, and you should be in a good spot and you can do it um, probably even a 60 to 90 day time frame from beginning. Awesome. Thank you, Liz. David Berner, uh, from the Notarize perspective, any best practices to share with the group? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway I would impart upon everyone is that you have resources as you're looking you know, for a remote online notarization vendor, if that's something that you're currently in the market for, right? The first thing I would direct you to is I've heard you heard, heard me mention ad nauseum on this call is those MISMO RON standards. Those are accessible you know, to anyone with a MISMO login. Those standards were really put together by industry experts to help you shop. So I think that would be the first question of any person you're talking to that could be performing a remote online notarization. If it's me, if it's someone else there, you know, make sure they're compliant with those standards because they're there to protect you and they're there to protect the enforceability of your mortgage. Uh, I would also take a look at the resources that the GSEs have. Uh, they also list a couple vendors as well, you know, on the Fannie and Freddie uh, eMortgage website. Uh, and then, of course, you know, as we've talked about, just understanding capacity and a process. You know, I, I certainly wish it was as easy as just picking the phone up and giving myself or one of my competitors a call for you all to get started and, and help keep your people mm -hmm. safe and, and keep, help keep Scott's closers safe. Uh, but there is a process, as you've heard about. So, you know, I hope imparting that will be helpful as you, you know, go back to the rest of your operation and, and game plan on how to best tackle this challenge. And, you know, this too shall pass, right? We'll get through this uh, like everything else we have. That's right. Appreciate it, David. And then to round out the group, Stephanie, anything that uh, from a lender's perspective on uh, best practices that you want to impart upon the group today? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, everyone uh, summed up everything, you know, that we, we've done that and we're continually doing as far as making sure that you're partnering with the right vendor, you're, you're, you're making the right decisions, you're not just rushing into something just to satisfy um, work right now, you're, you're really doing your due diligence and leveraging your partners. Um, Fannie Mae has a really good checklist on what to do to be ready. Um, I know Liz talked about making sure you're ready. It's a really good checklist to kind of follow through to, to ensure your readiness um, as far as the hybrid aspect of it, 
that's where we're at right now. Like I said, we're not in the e-close world or the RON world yet. Um, we're, we're working on that process, but hybrid we are. Um, it is making sure that you know what your investors are going to want. You know, some, some investors will allow the notice of right to cancel, for example, to be electronically signed and some won't. Um, just making sure you understand what guidelines that they have so that you're not going out there with a hybrid um, solution that you find out you can't sell to some of your investors. Um, other than that, you know, everyone said the same things that we're, we're doing. I appreciate that uh, perspective, Stephanie. Well, everyone, I want to, um, you know, first off, remind everybody to check out the TMC Connect section or our member event calendar for coming list of great discussions like these. And we're going to produce a weekly reminder about the slate of calls that we have lined up as we're adding new events almost daily uh, to try to offer educational content near real time to our members as we as an industry uh, look to kind of tackle, continue to tackle these challenges and, and share out the best practices. TMC's gathering from our network. Um, since I don't see any additional questions at this time, wrap up today's discussion by first thanking Liz, David, Harry, Scott, and Stephanie. This was a fantastic discussion. I really appreciate you each taking out the time you know, to share your uh, valuable insights with uh, you know, our attendees on the call today and want to thank each of you for joining this discussion. Um, no, everyone's crazy busy right now, so appreciate you spending a little portion of your day with us. And um, by and large, just hope everybody stays safe, stay healthy, uh, stay sane as we continue to navigate these uncertain waters together. And um, just as a reminder, we will follow up with a copy of the recording, uh, as well as copy of the deck, which has some great resources towards the back end that we didn't even get the chance to touch on, um, from some great resources from some of the discussion leaders on today's call. Um, as well as some resources around finding your county recorder information, who is prepared to accept, uh, you know, so who is actually open. Um, so I want to thank you all today. We will have that information coming out tomorrow, and uh, hopefully you all have a great evening, a great week. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.